This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, January 27th, 2011. I'm Caleb Brown. Since the landmark decision in the Heller case, which found an individual right to keep and bear arms, and the follow-up McDonald decision, Second Amendment litigation is just getting started. Alan Gura argued both of those cases before the Supreme Court. We spoke last week on the future of the legal fight over the Second Amendment. How has McDonald changed the course of Second Amendment litigation going forward? McDonald did two things for the Second Amendment. First of all, McDonald gave the courts a green light to consider whether or not uh, state and local gun regulations violate the Second Amendment. Uh, We could have always challenged those laws under the Second Amendment, but there was always a question of whether uh, states and localities actually had to bother with Second Amendment standards. Now we know that they do. McDonald also clarified that the Second Amendment is a fundamental right. And what that means in, in, uh, uh, in legal uh, terminology is that this is a, a significant right and that the government, not the individual, will bear the burden of showing that its laws actually uh, satisfy uh, very stringent standards as far as uh, constitutionality. What cases are coming to the fore? There are any number of cases right now that are seeking to explore the uh, the reach and extent of the Second Amendment. Uh, the, the question is whether the government can ban certain firearms, whether the government can either mandate that firearms contain certain features or mandate that they do not contain certain features. We also have uh, other types of cases where governments have, have uh, violated the Second Amendment in uh, new and creative ways. For example, the city of Chicago mandates that individuals wishing to have guns obtain training. Uh, That's all well and good, except that Chicago then banned gun ranges and forbade people from obtaining the training anywhere within the entire 230-square-mile limits of the city of Chicago. So, of course, we're challenging that. Um, And so what we see is a a number of of challenges being raised to various uh, laws that, that infringe upon people's Second Amendment rights. In speaking with uh, Nelson Lund, he talked about the the Heller decision, the opinion written by Scalia, and said that while the defense offered for the right, the individual right to keep and bear arms, the possession of a handgun within uh, Washington, D.C. is a right because these are popular weapons today, and uh, said that that was a, posed perhaps a serious problem for future litigation. It does not. I, I do not agree that it poses any sort of serious problem for future litigation. What the Supreme Court in Heller did is it said, look, in order to determine whether an arm is protected by the Second Amendment, we have to look to see whether it's the kind of arm that people would expect to find in common use for traditional lawful purposes. This is a very gun-friendly test. The question is not whether the arm is abused by criminals uh, or, or terrorists. Obviously, any kind of gun can be abused by, by criminals. And in fact, in Heller, uh, the court noted that handguns were the preferred tool of criminals. However, handguns are also the preferred tool of, of law-abiding people for lawful purposes. And therefore, however they might be misused, they are protected by the Constitution. Um, the common use test recognizes and acknowledges that the framers knew that, that there would be firearms in lawful use in society. And so which firearms are protected? Those that people would expect to have in ordinary common use for lawful purposes. That is a very broad uh, category of arms. And if the courts are faithful to that test, then I expect to see um, many of today's 
current prohibitions fall by the wayside. We have certain challenges in, in litigating Second Amendment cases going forward. One of the challenges that we have is that, uh, of course, the criminal defense bar is obligated to be zealous in the representation of their clients. And so when you have uh, an individual charged with a gun crime, you often see um, long-shot Second Amendment theories asserted. uh, And and these cases typically tend to make uh, bad law. Um, The the way that we lost the Second Amendment uh, the first time around, uh, the reason the courts were very happy to discard it as some version of collective right is because most of those cases were in fact criminal cases that uh, the courts did not uh, take the right all that seriously. Um, uh, I'm not sure what there is we can do about that. Uh, people are entitled to a constitutional defense. Uh, it's it's our job as advocates for the Second Amendment to try to put good cases before the court and hope that the good, uh, carefully constructed cases uh, become the vehicles to decide some of these broader issues. The second challenge we have is that uh, many people out there, of course, uh, feel very passionately about the Second Amendment, and um, uh, they confuse their passion and their their feelings for the right to keep their arms with uh, any sort of notion on on uh, uh, on limitations on on their own abilities. And so we have a lot of uh, pro se litigation being filed. That is, people representing themselves in cases where um, they they truly probably. Uh, have fools for clients, as the old saying goes. These are not cases that that uh, give us a lot of hope for for making good law. Uh, the fact is that uh, law today is is uh, a broad array of specialties. I would never presume to file uh, bankruptcy cases for people uh, engage in criminal defense, family law. These are simply things that I don't do. I don't know anything about them. Uh, you wouldn't want me to handle your divorce. Uh, I focus on civil rights litigation, and that's what I bring to the table. And there are other attorneys like me who are very good at doing that. Um, uh, However, um, uh, people who perhaps have read a couple of forums on the internet, um, have seen a couple of episodes of Matlock, uh, are usually not going to be in the best position to to bring out an important new constitutional right. And that is um, uh, something that we we know we have to to deal with as well. Uh, The other challenge, of course, we have is in today's media age, uh, the cameras will always focus on the thing that is most outrageous and dramatic. And so we have people who are prone to making insane statements about overthrowing the government and, and acting in a very militant fashion. And they're allowed to do that. Look, the First Amendment uh, protects your right to be antisocial and annoying. But uh, when we try to uh, advocate for uh, a constitutional right – uh, in front of people or, or, or to people who may not be familiar with guns or gun ownership, uh, if that's the image uh, of us that they have, if they uh, see my client and ima- immediately think back to the guy that wants to, you know, uh, uh, walk around with with uh, with a rifle at the end of the airport runway here in, in Washington, it's, it's probably not useful uh, uh, to uh, to our cause. So again, uh, we have a, uh, uh, a constitutional right. We're trying to vindicate it as, as best we can. We're not going to win every case. Uh, there is no perfection in the law. No one out there believes that every First Amendment case was decided correctly or that every Fourth Amendment case 
was decided correctly. And so uh, it's foolish to expect that every Second Amendment case will be decided correctly. However, we're doing our best to make sure that uh, as many of them as, as possible are decided correctly, and I expect uh, and hope that actually we'll, we'll do fairly well. Before McDonald, after McDonald, where does the revival of privileges or immunities stand in, in both cases? The revival of privileges or immunities uh, is much closer today than it was six months ago, and here is why. Um, what the Supreme Court told us in McDonald is that there is no consensus, there is no five-justice majority for any particular interpretation of the 14th Amendment uh, insofar as it mandates that states obey national civil rights standards. Um, some justices uh, did not wish to uh, revisit the privileges or immunities uh, question, but they didn't say that we were wrong, and nobody said that Slaughterhouse was uh, correctly decided and, and, and should be uh, affirmed. Uh, rather, we had some justices wish to avoid the question, and at least one member of the majority uh, uh, take the other position, which is, um, no, actually, the, uh, we have to apply the Constitution the way in which it was understood by the people who framed it. And so Justice Thomas's opinion um, correctly uses the Privileges or Immunities Clause. It is consequential. It was required for the decision. In the absence of that argument, we would have lost. Uh, every law school constitutional law class now must teach this opinion, and just about everyone can see that it's correct. And so we don't have to necessarily uh, win everything all at once. History contains many examples of, uh, of Supreme Court opinions that started out as one justice or two justice opinions that over the course of time eventually gathered steam in a majority and became uh, the law of the land. There are many such examples, and I hope that this is going to be uh, one more of them. Um, it's something that's, you know, anybody who's going to argue a 14th Amendment question from here on out now cannot ignore privileges or immunities. And so um, I suspect as future generations of lawyers and scholars continue looking at this, that eventually we're going to get the 14th Amendment that our ancestors ratified for us and uh, expect us to have. Alan Gura is an attorney in Washington, D.C. You can watch a recent forum on the future of the Second Amendment at our website, cato.org.